welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. You know, I'm pretty disappointed in Amanda. As her boss, she forgot one really important announcement. Right? Oh, it's coming. So I shouldn't say it? Just wait? Oh, oh, is there something going on that I don't know about? Oh, okay, wow, all right. (laughs) Stay tuned, everyone. All I ask is that you listen to God's word today. (laughs) So Lalia asked me uh, earlier this week what I was going to be preaching on, and um, we were actually in a hot tub, which was nice, with the boys, and... I, I told her we were gonna, I was going to be preaching on superheroes this morning. And so obviously my four-year-old Silas, his ears perked up and got, he got really excited. So Lolly and I asked him, you know, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Now, honest to God, this was his answer. His answer was he wished that he had the power to change bad people into good people. Right? Yeah. So whenever we feel like we're failing as parents, we're going to remember that moment, right? That, that he said that. So what about you all? If you could have any superpower, what would it be? You've got a, a vast array to choose from. You've got, what is there? Teleportation, flying, super strength. Super speed, x-ray visions, or anything else that I'm forgetting? Mind reading. I should have known that one. Like, it was happening right then and there. Yeah, so this morning we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And this passage uh, has the, Paul, the Apostle Paul putting forth two superpowers that every Christian should be aware of. Invisibility and shape-shifting. And while these might not be at the top of your all-time favorites, I want to make a case for you today that these are the heart and the soul of the Christian walk. You just heard Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 read to you, so let's turn in our Bibles to that passage, and while you're turning there, I'll pray for us as we open up God's Word. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us as only you can speak to us. God, would you tune our ears to hear your voice ever so clearly? Would you tune our hearts to you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us? God, may the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. Be glorified and magnified in this place. Amen. Colossians 3, starting at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, throughout this series, Pastor Tim has spent most of the time in Colossians chapter 1, and we're hopping over to chapter 3 to finish this, this series, 
but there are several parallels with what Pastor Tim has been teaching recently. For instance, these first two verses echo what has been mentioned a few times. It's vital that we keep our gaze heavenward and not be distracted by the things of this world. Our eyes should be fixed on heaven and the one who is seated on the throne. But this morning, I want to take some time to key in on verse 3. Now, this is one of my favorite verses and one of the first that I ever memorized. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That word for hidden means concealed or covered up. This is the first superpower that I want to talk about this morning. Invisibility. We have invisibility. To be more clear, to be more specific, we possess an invisibility cloak supplied by Christ himself. But in order to claim this power for ourselves, we actually have to die to self. And I will admit that that can be jarring. It can feel to some of you like we have to give up our identity. But I want to assure you that verse 3 is actually the pathway towards claiming your true self. Now, I'm willing to bet that most of you here today and most of you joining us online have been baptized. In Paul's letter to the, Rome, to the Romans, he explains the meaning of baptism. This is what he writes. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This death talked about in Colossians and Romans, which is symbolized in baptism, means that we identify with the death of Christ and that we are now dead to sin. So you see, this is not meant to be morbid or crushing. This is meant to be joyful. This death is actually the means by which we are then raised to life. In this new life, we are sinless and blameless, no longer held captive to the darkness of our former selves. But there's one major issue that we face this side of heaven. We're dead to sin, but we keep on sinning. And this is where the second, of the, second part of this verse is so important. We are hidden in Christ. Jesus himself covers us while we are still sinners so that when God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness and perfection of Christ. Basically, the only thing that's invisible is our sin. How awesome is that? We get to keep the rest of it. You don't lose your unique identity. You still hold on to your passions and your gifts and all of those things that make you, you. You get to embrace your true self, the person you were created to be. And best of all, you get to enjoy a relationship with your creator. You are covered by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. 
I want us to take a moment to soak in this truth. Imagine for a few seconds the ways in which you have fallen short. Are you experiencing any guilt or any shame? Do you feel lost and alone? Is there anyone that you've hurt? Or what about the ways that you've hurt God? Just take a moment and think about those things. Now this is what I want you to do. I want you to picture Christ draping himself over you, covering you with himself, covering you with grace, love, and righteousness. That's what it means to be hidden in Christ. He is concealing your guilt and sin and shame even at this very moment so that our holy God can be in a loving relationship with us. This is amazing and it's awe-inspiring, but it doesn't come without a price. The first and most important price was the execution of our blameless savior. Christ covering over us was only made possible through his atoning sacrifice. And the second cost is the cost of our very own lives. Since Christians have died with Christ, have been raised with Christ, and will be revealed with Christ, our lives can be described entirely as Christ. Christ is our life now. We have no life apart from Jesus. We owe him everything. And he will not settle for anything less than that. And this is a good segue into the next verses because Paul tells us explicitly how to respond by aligning our lives with the will of God. Paul makes this simple in theory. It's harder in practice. He makes it simple and practical for us. First, he tells us what we should put off or put to death. And then he tells us what we then should put on. Now, this is done only through the power of the Holy Spirit and the recognition of our covering by Christ. And this is that second superpower I was mentioning, shape-shifting. But if you want to be theological, the term is sanctification, the process of becoming holy. Okay, first, the put-off list in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Paul tells the church to put to death the sinful lifestyle of their former selves. These things are the markings of the old person. 
Scholar G.K. Beale gives some helpful insight for us to consider regarding this passage. He notes that the vast majority of translations have put to death these earthly things. That's how the ESV puts it, as I just read. But he says the NASB's rendering seems a little bit better. This is how that translation puts it. Rather than put to death, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things. Why does this matter to us? Well, if we translate it as put to death, then it makes it an action that we must complete as Christians. However, that doesn't really make much sense considering verse 3, because we have already died. That is why the translation, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, seems to make more sense. We should consider that these things are already dead. We should constantly remember that we have died and that we are hidden in Christ. Now, obviously, this is a spiritual death. When Christ claims us as his own, we are born again spiritually and we are a new person. We would do well to remember this when we are tempted to disobey him. Overcoming temptation is not something we alone can will ourselves to do. We need to rest in our new status and let the Holy Spirit work in and through us. But what part do we play in all of this? I believe that considering the members of our earthly bodies as dead, in fact, helps us to effectively work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul puts it in his letter to the Philippians. We have to recognize our death to our former self and embrace the new life that Christ has created in us. Let me try to explain this with an illustration. Silas and Judah are good boys. At least that is what Lolly and I constantly tell them, right? The purpose of that is when they do something bad, we can then say to them, that is not who you are. You are a good boy. If a person believes that he or she is bad, then they will do bad things. And I have a personal example of this. I, I submitted my life to Jesus when I was 15 years old. In my early 20s, I just had a really rough season of life. I had a serious uh, bout of depression, and I began to make uh, some very poor decisions because I began to believe that I was a poor excuse for a Christian. I began to believe that I was too broken and that I was a lost cause. And my resulting behavior was in line with what I believed to be true about myself. My lifestyle began to match my self-talk, my belief. But praise God that I had a group of Christian friends who would periodically call me or meet up with me. And now these brothers and sisters in Christ would tell me in a gracious but stern way, 
that this sinful lifestyle was not who I really was. They didn't shame me or guilt me. They just reminded me of my identity in Christ. You see, we Christians have to be convinced that we are made new and good. Our sinful behaviors are not who we really are. Now, we are totally depraved, but we have Christ standing in the gap for us. Paul is saying to the church, you are hidden in Christ once and for all, so now take off the filthy rags that you once wore and throw them into the fire. A few years ago, Marie Kondo burst onto the scene of pop culture. I saw some women look up. I bet a lot of ladies know who she is, and if you're a smart man, then you would also know who she is. Kondo's method of organizing is known as the Marie method and consists of gathering together all of one's belongings, one category at a time, and then keeping only the things that spark joy. Kondo advises to start the process by tidying up quickly and completely. You must discard whatever is in the house that doesn't spark joy. Sin does not spark joy. It needs to be tossed out of our lives. Think about it. Have sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lies, and division ever satisfied you or brought you joy? Absolutely not. They couldn't possibly bring joy to you because that part of you has been put to death already. Now that doesn't, I work with students, that doesn't mean that those things have lost their appeal. That doesn't mean that they are easy to discard. But like Marie Kondo says, we gotta stop being hoarders. We have to stop holding on to these things of our sinful past and throw them into the garbage where they belong once and for all. Now, I'll admit, this is the focus of many people regarding the Christian faith. Both those inside and outside of the faith tend to think of Christianity as this religious system in which we have a bunch of rules and spend our lives trying not to break them. Some have made this putting off part the main purpose and goal of their walk with Christ. But this series is about how we grow in our walk with Christ. And growth is so much more than focusing on what we just need to get rid of. It's not enough for us just to put off these things. We now have to put on the things of God. You just think about it in terms of physical health. There's diet and there's exercise. In order to get the best results, you need to do both. You need to deprive, get rid of the foods that are bad for you, and then you need to actively exercise and eat the foods that are good for you. As Christians, it's not sufficient for us to stop sinning. 
we also have to clothe ourselves in righteousness and godly behavior. This is really where that superpower of shape-shifting is put to use. That's the real sanctification process. So I'm going to say it a third time for you. It's not enough to stop doing bad. We also have to start doing good. So Paul gives us some ideas of what we actually should be doing in Colossians 3, 10 through 14. And this you can think of as the exercise component of a healthy spiritual life. Verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So part of the previous verses was putting off the vices of the old manner of living. But now Paul begins telling believers to clothe themselves with the positive attributes characteristic of the new creation. I'm personally interested by the imagery that Paul chooses to use here. Why does he use clothing as a way to illustrate this to us? I mean, he could literally just say, hey, church, don't do that. Do this. I mean, that's the gist of what he's trying to communicate to the church. But I found something very intriguing in my studies this week. Again, I found this in G.K. Beale's work. He explains that the references to clothing in verse 9 and 10 may be an allusion to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3-7, we are told that Adam and Eve tried to cover their sinful nakedness by their own autonomous efforts directly after their sin. This is how it puts it. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, loin coverings. On the other hand, in an apparent expression of their beginning restoration to life with God after the fall, Genesis 3.21 says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The clear implication is that their first self-made suit of clothes was removed and replaced by divinely handmade clothing. The first clothes were associated with their alienated condition and sinful shame. Those clothes were an insufficient covering. This is clear from the fact that while they were wearing them, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God and still considered themselves naked, even though they were wearing clothes. So Paul is telling the Colossian believers to lay aside the clothes of the first Adam, the old man that has died, and clothe themselves with the last Adam, the new man hidden in Christ. 
By donning their new clothing, they have begun to be restored to life with God. Paul appears to be using this Genesis 3 clothing language as a powerful analogy for the church. The takeaway for us is this. Let God clothe you. As his children, as his dearly beloved, we should wear the clothing befitting of heavenly royalty. This clothing entails compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This clothing consists of forbearance, forgiveness, unity, harmony, and reconciliation. And above all the other things that we are to clothe ourselves with, we are to put on love. Paul views love as the overgarment, which is put over the undergarments of the other virtues and completes the proper attire of a person. The undergarments are not complete or rightly ordered or bound together well without the outer covering garment of love. The overgarment of love is to keep the other traits in their proper place and perspective. And this goes right in line with what Jesus and Paul teach elsewhere in scripture. The greatest commandments are to love God and love neighbor. Paul writes that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I told you earlier that you should imagine Christ draping himself over you. Well, Christ is love. Love is draped over you in the person of Christ. And that is how people should experience you. And this morning's passage ends with these words in verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These verses continue the exhortation regarding what believers should be doing in response to their new identity in Christ. However, these verses sound an awful lot like something to me. What do they sound like to you? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What does that sound like? Bueller? What does that sound like? I didn't hear it. Joy? Where, where are we right now? Church. Sounds an awful lot like church, right? Getting together to hear the word preached, teaching one another, singing songs of thankfulness. Growing in Christ requires us to be involved in church. 
We're on this process of sanctification together. We should learn together, sing together, hold one another accountable, and then live out this new identity as one body of believers. So don't miss this component of all of this. Spiritual growth requires Christian community. I've been talking a lot about superpowers this morning, and the funny thing is, I don't like superheroes. It's just never been my thing. My boys like it. They've got, you know, the, the big old action figures. They've got a whole drawer filled with um, superhero capes and whatnot and masks. And, of course, you've got to have your superhero undies. So we, they've got all that stuff. I'm not a, a huge fan. I don't, I don't watch the movies. I don't know much about it. But a, a quick Google search revealed to me that all of these fictional characters received their superpower from somewhere outside of themselves. That is true for us as well. We need God to intervene. He alone has the power to change bad people into good people. He alone has the power to cause us to grow. So I want to end with this, and I always have a hard time giving an application when the Bible passage already has given the application of it. So what I'm going to ask us to do is I'm just going to remind us what Paul has instructed the church to do. And I want us to start putting it into action. That's the application point. First and constantly, remember that you have died and you are hidden in Christ with God. Second, take an inventory of your life. What are the things you need to put off? What are the things that you need to put on? Third, pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will bring these things to fruition. And fourth, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you alone have the power. You alone are able to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And Jesus, as we have been considering these past weeks, how we are to grow, God, we beg you to cause growth in our hearts, in our lives, God. We pray for those people that we are longing to see come to knowledge and faith in you, Christ. We ask that you would turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And Lord Jesus, we ask that this would not simply be an individualistic pursuit of ours, but instead we would begin to think corporately of how Carmel Prez might grow, how we might be a people transformed by you and for your purposes, God. So Lord, whatever we do, 
in word or deed. Let us do it in your name and for your glory and honor, Jesus. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.